Friends, I want to encourage you to take your copy of the Scriptures this morning and turn with me. The letter of James, James in chapter 2. James in chapter 2. If we're going to sum up the book of James, we might receive it as a kind, gentle, softly spoken instruction to grow up. (laughs) It's what the letter of James is all about. Remember, James, different than Paul's letters, Paul begins his letters with this greeting that moves right into some doctrine, talks about the theology of of Christianity, teaching us more about Christ, about God, about His plans. Then he ends those letters with some application. But James sinks in on the ladder and says, we got to talk about this living out the Christian life. Some really, really important stuff we're going to look at here this morning. Before we dive in chapter 2, let's pray together. God, we ask, Spirit of God, that you will be our teacher here today, that you will apply these truths individually to each one of us here today. God, something that we hear here today, God, I pray that you will apply to our life, that you will give us direction, instruction, and if need be, God, correction. So God, be glorified in our time here together as we study, as we receive, as it truly is the Word of God. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Talking about growing up, and I was thinking about this whole thing just kind of physically. What does that look like in our lives? And then the more I thought about it, the more I realized Everything that measures growth has something to do with movement in our life. Think about this, if you will, okay? The first thing coming into this world, you know, the the little baby, you know, you're watching, you're feeding, you're caring, and you bring it into the doctor and this baby, you know what the first thing to look at is, has the scales moved at all? Is this baby growing? It's, it's, it's measured by movement, moving those scales, you know? Then you're watching this little baby grow. And the first thing you're looking for is this kind of movement when a baby kind of rolls over. From the back to the stomach to the stomach to the back, it's all about movement. Think about it, you know? It's crazy. And you go from rolling over to crawling, Starts moving instead of sideways forward, you know? Sometimes backwards a little bit. Crawling's a crazy thing for a kid. And from the crawling comes the standing, balancing upward on that edge of the sofa. And next comes the first step when you're moving forward, you know? And then from the walking comes moving a little faster, you know, running. And then comes the bicycle. I mean, that time hits you, you know, somewhere around four or five, you say, I want to ride one of those. And up on the bike you go, and you're learning the balance, and you're moving. You know, after the bicycle, a few years pass, and suddenly you're in a vehicle. You know, you got the driver's license. It seems that all of the measuring marks of growth have something to do with movement, you know? Moving in the car, then moving off to college, or moving on to a career, All of these steps of movement. In other words, if there's no movement, something's wrong. I mean, if there's no progress, something ain't right. And the fact is, it's true for Christians as well. 
when we are born again into this new life, this eternal life, one of the measuring signs of health is growth. And here in chapter 2, we're going to look at the measuring sticks of the maturity of a Christian. There are two measuring sticks here. Now, two things that we need to measure our life with to determine whether or not we are at the maturity level that we ought to be. You know, some of us, we've been following Christ for a long time, but what we really mean by that is we've just been Christians for a long time. The following thing is all about movement. It's all about growth. So they're going to take a look here as James gives us two measuring sticks about uh, uh, how to measure our life and our progress. You know, when I was a kid, you know, it used to be the basketball hoop connected to our garage, you know? At first, I'd try and hit the net, you know? One summer goes by, the next summer, and suddenly I got the thing. And then it's, it's where those nets kind of separate up to tie. Can I get that guy, you know? And ultimately, it's the rim. You know, we all had our little measuring tools. Sometimes it's about responsibility. Remember that time where you actually learned to cook without staring at a recipe? You know, signs of growth, they're everywhere, Well, we're going to look at the measuring sticks here today. So let's take a look at the first found in verses 1 to 13. James reveals for us the the first measuring stick is this. It's indiscriminate love. Indiscriminate love. Take a look at your life and measure it up to this whole concept of indiscriminate. Indiscriminate love. And, and, uh, and indiscriminate love simply, simply means you don't discriminate against the people whom you love. You love your neighbor. And who is the neighbor? The neighbor is the one who is in need and the need that you can meet. So, you know, in John chapter 13, 35, John chapter 13 and verse 35, Jesus said this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Well, by what? I mean, what is it, Jesus? What is the mark? What is it that really reveals our relationship with you? He says, if you have love for one another. Love. God is love. Certainly, his children should be love. And here, James tells us the first mark of a growing Christian is indiscriminate love. Verse 1, he says, my brothers... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And then he offers this, 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 uh, this example of discrimination. It doesn't have to, anything to do with maybe skin in this example, but it certainly could be. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes to your assembly... And a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, Oh, you sit here in a good place. Well, you say to the poor man, Yeah, go on and stand over there. Sit down here at my feet. You know, it's the only room we got. Remember, feet. I know a lot of people love feet. You know, feet are just feet. But, uh, but remember, in the, the culture of this day, feet were nasty, sandy, dirty coming in. They, they wore sandals in a dusty place. You know, it is said that uh, when the angel sent out uh, the, the rock angel, or when God sent out the rock angel, he must have dumped it all in Israel. You know, it's a rocky, dusty, dirty place. 
Walking around in that, sitting next to somebody's feet is nasty. It's like sitting next to somebody's feet in a locker room. Everyone collectively say, eh. And that's the idea. You know, thank you very much for the participation. <laughs> we'll go a lot further if everyone's with me, I'll tell you. But I'll tell you, C.C. James, is, he's like, you know what? You treat people differently, not because you want to invest in them, but because you want something from them. Think about that. That is the exact opposite of love, by the way. Because remember that love is an investment, a sacrificial investment in someone else's life, meaning you give up something for the good of someone else. But what this describes is is making movements and motions in order that you get something you want. Oh, we like that rich guy. I want to have a rich friend. You know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe he's not in good health and I could be good friends with him. I knew a guy in my first church that, that chummed up with all the very older wealthy ladies. Not a good thing, friends. He would always act surprised when they left him a great sum of money. It was an evil, evil thing. And I'll tell you, James says, this is not Christian. If this is the way you treat people, it's not Christian. Whether you've got a smile on your face, whether you say it kindly and sweetly in the name of the Lord, if you act this, this discriminating way toward people, that's not Christian. That's not God. That's not Jesus. My brother, show no partiality is what he says here. So he's talking about this indiscriminate love. I mean, what is it? It's a love that never looks for a reward. It never looks for payback. You know, it's, people are funny that way. And, you know, you all know what I'm talking about. A friend, he, he talked about his dad, you know. He, he loved tomatoes, you know. And he had a friend who would, uh, who would start to grow the tomatoes in this greenhouse that he had built. And every time his friend gave him these tomatoes, he insisted on paying for it, you know? No, no, take this money. I mean, he would not allow his friend to do something for him without instant payback. You know, because that's the way things have to be, right? But friends, that ain't love. Love says, why don't you just let somebody do something for you and express their love for you as, as opposed to turning it into some business transaction, you know, doing something for someone without even the thought of how they could pay you back. I mean, love doesn't think about that stuff. Love says, hey, there's a need here. Hey, here's an opportunity to do good to somebody, not to think what you can get in return. And so indiscriminate love is not a love that looks for a reward, not doing good things in order that you can have the result that you are looking for. And friends, look at here in verse 5, that further explanation of this indiscriminate love. It is a love that reflects the heart of God. Listen, verse 5, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith? And heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. Look at the attitude of God. God demonstrated his love. Romans 5.8. God demonstrated his love in that while we were still sinners. While we had Zippo to offer to God. While we were an offense to God. Christ died for our sin. 
There was no advantage to God in dying for our sin. Friends, that is nothing but grace given to us what we do not deserve. And look at here. Who is it that that, that, uh, James focuses on? God has chosen those who are poor in this world. You know, you and I would do it differently. Hey, we could get more done if we had more rich people in the church. And yet God is the one who calls people to himself and chooses among them whom he chooses. And aren't you glad he chose you? My friends, this is the pattern that we ought to follow. Those who are in need are those to whom we should be drawn. You know, not those who can do something for us, but those whom we can serve. It is a love that reflects the heart of God. Hmm. And then he talks about, but you have dishonored this poor man, this man for whom Christ died, this man whom Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for his sins, and you have treated him as if he is nothing. Hmm. You've dishonored this poor man. And are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Hmm. Buddying up to all of those people that oppose everything you believe in. That does not reflect the heart of God. Hmm. Wow. And what is undiscriminate love? This love that we ought to measure our life by. I mean, when's the last time that you've expressed indiscriminate love? That you have saw a need that cost you something, but you did it anyway. Remember the illustration that Jesus gave about this, this man traveling these difficult roads, you know, and, and he was robbed and beaten, and the priest came by. Oh, my values, I couldn't possibly be defiled by that guy, you know? One after another, these religious guys, they kept walking. And then along comes a Samaritan, hated by the Jews. But he stops and loves this guy. And what does his love look like? Kind words? No, kind actions. In which he he binds him up and heals his wounds and takes him to a, a place where he can stay and promises the man, give him whatever it is he needs. And if it's more than the money I give you now, I'll come back and give you more. It cost him something. And that, my friends, is loving your neighbor. But notice here in verse 8, this indiscriminate love is a love that never looks for a reward, a love that reflects the heart of God, and a reminder here from James that anything less than love is sin. I know that 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 may come as a surprise because we would have thought that, that somewhere between love and hate is a neutral zone. It's neither love nor hate. It's just a safe place to skinny by. But James says anything less than love is sin. Look at here in verse 8. If you really fulfill the the royal law, and it is a royal law because it comes from a royal king, according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality... You are committing sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point 
has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but also murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Wow, let's think about that for a moment. Someone in need. Do you owe them? Of course not. That's what mercy is, giving to someone or withholding from someone something that they deserve. Grace, giving to someone who does not deserve. Showing mercy to one who has shown no mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. People of love, people of mercy. It is indiscriminate love, friends. It is not scheming love. I will do this sacrifice. I will give up my time or my energies or my monies in order to do this so that I might look good, so that I might get something, whatever it is. And friends, we are a scheming people. We are always thinking about ourselves and what benefits us. But the measuring tool of mature Christian is says, where does love really show up in your life? Friends, if you have to think hard about that, about what it looks like to sacrifice time and energy and monies to help someone else, then friends, you're not mature in Jesus. You're not seeing growth in Jesus if you don't see love. Because remember what Jesus said, how do we identify these followers of Christ? It's by their love. It's by their love. Well, here in chapter 14, we see that James also has another measuring stick. Both of them essential to identify mature Christians. And again, the, the idea, friends, here is not to look around and judge people about it and measure that guy or that woman back there. It's to take a look in the mirror and say, what about me? I mean, maybe I can talk a good game. I know all the vocabulary. But what's really going on in my own life? I mean, is there real love flowing through you in your life? Sacrificing, swallowing your pride for the sake of someone else? Friends, these are the things that are Christian. Well, it's not only indiscriminate love that we ought to look in the mirror and measure our life by. Here in chapter, chapter 2 and verse 14 to 26, it is demonstrable faith. Demonstrable faith. Now, we know faith ought to be there someplace, but what, what is the specific characteristic that James is focused on? It is faith that can be seen. Demonstrable faith. And notice here in verse 14, James begins by identifying declared faith, talked about faith. I have faith. I believe in God. Means nothing. Yak, yak, yak about faith. James says, that stuff ain't worth nothing. You want to talk about the stuff that matters? It's demonstrable faith. Declared faith is dead faith, according to James. Look at verse 14. And he gives an example of what he means by declared faith being dead faith. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? In other words, does not have anything in his life 
that demonstrates that faith. No occasion in which that faith might be on display. James asked the question, can that faith save him? And here's the illustration. If a brother or sister who is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, notice the word says. Look at verse 14. If someone says, and here in verse 16, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, the question James asks is, what good is that? Hey, I see you're in a tight spot. May God be gracious to you today. Well, maybe God wants to be gracious to them today through you. In other words, where's where's the rubber in the road here, friends? I mean, talking a good game means nothing to Jesus. And you know what? If you're relying on that, you're only fooling yourself. You're only fooling yourself, my friends. First illustration, caring for the destitute. Hmm, wow. Go in peace, be warm, to be filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? So, here's the conclusion. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, this works is not works towards salvation. This is, this is faith that demonstrates itself. If I say I believe something, you should see that faith in my actions. Anything I truly believe, I will act on. Anything I truly believe in, whatever I will make stand, I will make sacrifice, I will make headway if I truly believe. And this is the measurement, friends. And whatever it is, the Spirit of God is bouncing around in your head, pointing out right now, hey, what about this? Where's the faith in that? Friends, that's just the Spirit of God saying, it's time to grow up. It's time to to move the faith out of your mouth and into your hands and feet. Friends, faith that doesn't do anything is dead. And James says, And how can faith like that be saving faith? It cannot. Well, the first illustration is someone in need, you know? Just just like this this guy on the road, you know? He's been beat up and robbed, you know? The first two people walking by, the only thoughts they had were about themselves. But the last guy, he says, i got to act on this. And you know what? We can identify all of the steps this guy did that illustrate his faith. It was demonstrable faith. Wow. And then he gives us a second illustration of faith that is dead. He says in verse 18, but someone will say, there's that word say again, a whole lot of talking. James says, where's the action? A little less conversation, a little more action, please. Great theologian, uh, Elvis Presley, right? I know somebody got it back there. Okay, (laughs) I'm kidding about that. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. James says, show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. How do we know it's real if it's just a bunch of talk? I mean, where is the rubber hitting the road? Where is it really put in action, this faith that we talk about? 
Verse 19, you believe that God is one, and we do. It is the great Shema. Shema in Hebrew means listen or hear. Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Unity. It is, it is echad, the Hebrew word. It is the same word that God talks about a husband and a wife coming together and the two shall be one. It, it is not singular, it is unity. And it is the great statement of faith for the Jewish people. And here James pulls it out. You believe God is echad? Hmm, then you do well. You believe God is one, you do well. (laughs) But even the demons believe that and shudder. See, it's not about accepting something as true. We often use that word believe in accepting of facts. But saving faith is accepting something as true and acting on it. And it is the acting on it that makes it demonstrable. It is, it is the, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I seek his forgiveness. That is an action of faith. God, I know you want me to love the people around me. I believe it is true. I believe it is good, and therefore, I will act on that. Demonstrable faith, my friends. When's the last time I visited your family, your household, your neighborhood, or your workplace. Demonstrable faith, my friends. James says, friends, if you don't see this, if faith is nothing but talk for you, I'd be concerned about that. Because if it was that kind of faith that responded to God, that's not the kind of faith that saves. The faith that saves is the faith that acts. And that very faith that was a response to the grace of God is the faith by which we live out this life. And if we don't show it living out this life, did we really have it when we talk to God? Because it's not the talkie, friends. It's the walkie. It's the walkie. My friends, declared faith is dead. Talking about stuff, it's dead. But true believers have demonstrable faith. Look at here in verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Faith that has no, no, no example, no samples, no illustrations, that has no testimony. Friends, it's useless. And he gives us two examples here. The first is Abraham. Abraham's actions proved his faith. Look at verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And you may recall this account in the the book of Genesis. You know, there was a huge ordeal with Abraham and Sarah. I mean, they were well, well along in their their life, you know, 190 and, you know, I mean, they they were well beyond the, uh, the childbearing years. And here God says, you're going to have a seed, you know, I'm going to give you, going to make you a great nation, going to bless you, going to bless everyone that blesses you, curse anyone that curses you. And through this nation, going to bless all the families of the world. But we don't have any kids. How can you be a nation if there's only two of us? 
It was a big ordeal. And Abraham says, I know, we can figure this out. Tell you what, Sarah, you have a handmaiden. We'll have a child through her. And then you will count it as, as ours. And then God can, and God says, no, ain't going to be that way. I made a promise. I'm going to fulfill it. And he did. He gave them a child in old age. And then God said, I want you to go and sacrifice him. Well, that didn't make any sense at all, really. I mean, that, 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 that sounded like, well, maybe God meant something else by that, and we need to think of what it could else mean, and then we'll do that thing. No, no, no. Abraham knew exactly what God told him to do. And Abraham gathered the knife and the wood and the fire, and his son carried them up onto the mount. And you know the account. Abraham, with his son Isaac, all tied up on this, raises this knife to slaughter his son. I'm like, how could a father do that? Well, fortunately for us, you know, Hebrews chapter 11 tells exactly what was going through Abraham's mind. He thought, surely, in light of God's promises and all that he said would happen, this, this promised son of his, surely he would raise him from the dead. And the moment he was about to plunge that knife into his son, God said, stop. Abraham! <sighs> it was a test of his faith. Because if Abraham really believed God, then Abraham would obey God. And oh, by the way, that's a secret. It's not really a secret about faith, but a lot of people don't know it, that faith can be misidentified in a lot of ways by obedience. Abraham believed God, which simply means he did what God told him to do. And that faith that could be seen in his actions was accounted unto him as righteousness. He was justified by his work. This faith that could be seen in verse 22 James says, you see, that faith was active along with his works. Because he truly believed God, he obeyed God. And we could watch it happen. It didn't just happen in his head. Or you couldn't just hear it from his mouth. He was living it out. So that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And oh, notice this, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith. Now, that, that's a confusing little paragraph that sounds, or a little statement a clause even, that, that sounds like it contradicts what Paul says, and it doesn't at all. We are saved by faith, or by grace, through faith. God's grace, our response is faith. But what James says is that faith is not just talky, it's walky. If you have the faith that saves in response to grace, friends, people can see it in your life. It is the measuring stick of a mature believer. And then James gives us another illustration here in, in verse 25. And in the same way, 
Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? And a little background here, taking place in the book of, of, uh, of, of well, you know what? Um, it is Judges. 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 It's Judges? It's Judges. Huh? Joshua. Yes, of course, Joshua, because they're going into the land. Yeah, thank you. You all know what's going on here, right? They're about to go into the promised land. I mean, God has brought them out of Israel. God or Egypt, God has brought them out of this slavery 400 years, you know, and, and, and everything is looking bad, but God leads, and they're in this desert, and it's hot, and they're hungry and thirsty all the time, you know, and, and God is, is leading them to this place. Now, of course, the first generation sinned. They didn't believe God, and so God caused this generation to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until they died, and the next generation who believed God, was about to begin to enter into this land. And the first, the first obstacle going into this land was a great city called Jericho. It was like the guardian, big-walled city. And, and Joshua, leading the whole group, he sends in a couple of spies to spy it out. And they came across this woman, Rahab. And she had heard what God had been doing in giving them victories, in giving them provision, and knowing that their lives were in danger, she acted on it and hid these spies. See, her faith in Yahweh, the God of Israel, caused her to act on behalf of these two representatives. Rahab's action proved her faith. Rahab, the prostitute, prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. If your faith doesn't work, it's dead. It's not saving faith. It certainly is not living faith. And my friends, measure our lives. Two things. You love. Are you loving people? Are you loving one another? Are you swallowing your pride? Are you giving up your rights for the good of someone else? Because that's what the children of God do. That's what the followers of Christ do. They love one another. Jesus said that is the identifying factor, their love. And James reminds us, Let's talk about the danger of just talked about faith. It's dead. Wrap it up, friends. Bible to go, sermon in a sentence. Maturity in Christ is demonstrated by our love and our faith. Friends, make sure it's real. So I've got a couple of questions. For you to answer to yourself, is there enough evidence of love in your life to convict you of being a Christian? Think about that. If your Christianity was on trial, would you be either able to gather enough evidence to demonstrate you really are one? Jesus said, what's that identifier? It's love. Is there enough evidence in your own life to convince you that you're a Christian? Because we can fool anyone. 
But what about you? Number two, the faith that caused you to seek God's forgiveness, to recognize your sin, to recognize God's sacrifice, it was that faith that caused you to respond and to seek His forgiveness. It's that kind of faith that ought to be demonstrated today by your obedience to God. Because again, faith looks an awful lot like obedience in the Bible. Hmm. And ultimately, to sum it all up, here's the question. Does your talking match your walking? Are we just talking a good game here? Or are we seriously living out the faith that has been given to us? This faith to believe, this faith to be saved, this faith now to live. Check yourself, friends. It's too important to walk away and ignore it.